All right, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek. We are so glad you are here with us today. Come on, whatever campus you're at, whether you're in Denton, Flower Mound, Gainesville, Louisville, the venue, or online, let's just welcome each other together for a moment. We are one church that meets at multiple campuses that carries the hope of Jesus to thousands of locations. We are a family on mission, a movement of hope for the city and beyond. Hope is here. Everyone is welcome. And Jesus changes everything. And we're starting a new series today called Holy Spirit. We invite you in. And for the next few weeks, I just want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about who he is and what he does, what his character is like, what his personality is, how he engages, how he moves, how he relates to us. And if I can be super honest with you, I'm going into this series with a whole lot of fear and trembling, a sense of humility and hunger, like this sense of awe and wonder, because like, like, how do you put the Holy Spirit into words? How do you adequately express who he is and what he does? So I think there's a sense of soberness and gravity and reality to this series. And yet this sense of anticipation and excitement that the Holy Spirit comes when we invite him in. You see, I don't want this series to be a series that's of wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And, and a whole lot of us, the backgrounds we come from, we've got different thoughts about the Holy Spirit. We've heard different things about the Holy Spirit. We have different theology about the Holy Spirit. All that's fine, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I just want to start this series with. The Holy Spirit is the most important person in the room and yet he is often the most ignored person in the room. The Holy Spirit is the most important person in the room, and yet he is the most often ignored person in the room. This is true in every room you walk in in your life. Whether it's your office at work, whether it's the living room in your home, whether it's the car that you drive in, whether it's your class at school, sometimes even the very worship centers that we gather together. He is the most important person and yet he is often the most ignored. So what would it be like if he was the most important and the most honored person in the room? What might happen in your life and mine? See, think about all we miss out on when we ignore the Holy Spirit, when we kind of forget about him and push him to the side. The Bible tells us he's the spirit of wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom for everything in your life. He's the spirit of revelation. He wants to reveal things to you that you do not yet know. He's the spirit of truth. He wants to show you truth in a world full of lies. He's a counselor. He wants to give you the counsel you need in your life. He's a guide. He wants to show you where to go and how to go. He's a comforter. He wants to help you in your brokenness and your pain. He's an advocate. He is for you. He is a friend. He wants to be with you in your loneliness. And when we look at the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is all over the Bible. He's on the very first page, the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit hovered over the waters. 
And he is on the very last page of the Bible that says the spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is always drawing you to Jesus. He's all over the Old Testament, empowering people to do amazing things with and for God. We watch him anoint Jesus to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, bring the kingdom. We watch him fill the disciples and they turn the world upside down as heaven comes to earth. He is all over the Bible and he is meant to be all over your life. And if we look at just these last two years, and we're honest with each other, a whole lot of things in life and our lives have crumbled right before our very eyes. We've watched the things we find comfort in crumble. The things that are convenient crumble. Our idols crumble. The things we rest on and pursue and trusted in crumble. Maybe that was God's goodness and his grace to let all those things crumble to bring us to the end of ourselves. So we finally get back to Holy Spirit, we invite you in. I mean, Galatians 5 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is not only an invitation, it's a command to walk with the Spirit. Does it mean to walk with the Spirit? It means to go where He wants to go and do what He wants to do and say what He wants to say and act how He wants you to act. Like, like this verse is the same thing when Jesus says to us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. What it's saying is you got to submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads and we follow. I mean, over this last two months, I hurt my foot really, really bad. And it's amazing how hobbled I've been. And I've noticed that if my family or my friends or my team, if they actually want to walk with me, they've had to dramatically change their pace to keep in step with me. And it's actually been funny because as I've been limping along, I'm watching as they're like power walking to the next thing that we need to go. And I watch them like catch themselves like they have to change their agenda to slow down, to stay in step with me. If we're going to walk with the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to change our agenda to slow down, to stay in step with him. We can't get ahead of him and we can't get behind him. We're invited to walk with him. And what I love is this is the normal Christian life. This isn't for elite people. This isn't for religious people. This isn't for super mature people. This isn't just for the charismatics and not for the reformed. No, 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 no. Like this is the normal Christian life. Like when you read the book of Acts, you only find really two kinds of people, the people of the world and the people who walked with the spirit. There, there wasn't this weird, lukewarm, apathetic, neutral, religious church person. There was the world and there was the disciples of Jesus who walked with the spirit. And so you're invited to walk with the spirit in your parenting and walk with the spirit in your job and walk with the spirit when you go to school and walk with the spirit when you walk in this place. And yet, if we look around over the last few years, let's be honest, as we're doing a little bit of digging here, we've seen a whole lot more living according to the flesh, maybe than the spirit. 
I mean, look at what this says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. In other words, you can walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the spirit. You say, well, what does it mean to walk according to the flesh? Well, to walk according to the flesh is me, myself, and I. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Uh, I, I take control. Uh, I'm easily angered. I react to anything and anyone around me. I have a lot of pride in my life would be the flesh. I, I hold on to offenses. I envy. I have bitterness. I have resentment. I'm independent. I divide from anyone and anything that doesn't work for me in the moment. And I do things in my own strength. I perform. I strive. I struggle. I achieve. It's my life and I'm going to make it happen. And so it's very selfish self-condemning and self-centered. So can I ask you a super honest question? Would you say in this last season, are you walking more according to the flesh or the spirit? Like what is your mind set on? See, I love it that it says it like this. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the flesh. For the sinful nature, the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. In other words, what it's saying is you can walk in the spirit or you can walk in the flesh, but you can't do both. And if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm not sinning. And if I'm sinning, I'm not walking in the spirit because they're in conflict with each other. And the problem with ongoing walking in the flesh is eventually our heart starts to become hard. We become resistant and calloused. We become prideful, religious, apathetic, and we become resistant to the gospel. I mean, if you go back to when the gospel was preached for the first time in the book of Acts, the response, which is the normal response, the Bible is showing us, first time something happens in the Bible, it's called the law of first mention. It means there's something really significant about the first time it's mentioned that sets a pattern, a normative, a description of this is how this is supposed to be. The first time the gospel is preached, this is the response. When the people heard this, the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They hear the gospel and they are cut to the heart and say, what shall we do? Peter says, repent, change your mind in your direction. Be baptized, identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and receive the spirit of the living God into your life. Every time we hear the gospel, this should be our response. So last week was Easter and we preached the gospel. Can I ask you a super honest question? Were you cut to the heart in any way? You say, I've walked with God for 20 years. The gospel isn't for me. It's for lost people. Oh, my friend, the gospel is for you and me every single day. And when we hear the gospel, there should be a cutting to the heart where we repent. We identify again with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And we say, Holy Spirit, we invite 
When was the last time you were cut to the heart over the sin in your life? When was the last time you were cut to the heart over your pride and your language and your rebellion and your idolatry and the places you go and the things you do? When was the last time you were cut to the heart? And if you can't remember, maybe you've been walking in the flesh so long that your heart has gotten so hard that there's so much to cut through to even get in there. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in. And if we're inviting him in, we have to ask the question, where does he come from? Well, the resurrected Jesus looks at the disciples. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit of the living God is literally breathed into your life and you are raised to new life. This is very reminiscent to Genesis chapter two, when God creates Adam and scrapes him together out of the dust of the ground. And then it says he breathes literally the word there is the word spirit. He breathes spirit into Adam and raises him to new life. As we breathe in from the resurrected Jesus, the spirit raises us to new life and now dwells inside of you. I love this. It says, and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, you are cut to the heart and you turn to God, the gospel of your salvation. Ready? Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. It says the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are marked with the spirit of the living God because you're now included in Christ, you're God's possession. So the spirit is literally the distinguishing factor of your life in this world. The Holy Spirit marks you as one of Jesus's sheep. In fact, what this is referring to is in Jesus's days, shepherds would mark their sheep so they knew which ones belonged to them. And what they would do is they would take a knife or a tool and they would cut a unique uh, a notch or a, or a circle or a square or something in their own sheep's ears so they would know which one was theirs. So some shepherds might have cut off the, the tips of both ears. And some shepherds might cut a square into the left ear. And some shepherds maybe put a hole in the right ear. Some shepherds put a triangle in one and a square in the other. I don't know, split the ears, whatever. Every shepherd had their own marking. So when the sheep were all mingled on the hill, they knew which ones belonged to them. The Holy Spirit is the marker in your life that declares you belong to him. As you mingle in this world with the people of this world who are lost, lonely, and broken, it's the Holy Spirit that says you aren't yours and you are not this world's. You're the good shepherds and the spirit of the living God that he has given you marks you in a new way. In fact, this is why Moses says, if your presence, he's talking about spirit here. If your spirit does not go with us, do not send us up from here because how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples of the earth? I love it. Moses is like, God, if your spirit doesn't go with us, don't send us because your spirit distinguishes me and declares that you're pleased with me. You want to know what sets you apart in this world? It's not your looks. It's not your talent. It's not your car, it's not your possessions, it's not your jobs, it's not your achievements, it's not how cool you think you are. 
It's the spirit of the living God in your life. And it's the spirit that is constantly declaring over your life. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Even when you're walking in the flesh. Because he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave nor forsake. Even when we push down. So the spirit marks you, declares your belonging to the good shepherd and declares that he is pleased with you even in your worst possible moment. That should cut us to the heart. I mean, check this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Like, can you... Just for a moment, I get it. Like take TikTok out of your brain for a second. Just jump in here with me for a second. Can you catch the gravity of this? When was the last time you had on wonder over the thought that of all the places God could dwell in the universe, he has decided he wants to dwell in you. That he has moved into you as his temple and his home. The same spirit that created the world, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, the same spirit that did every sign and wonder you read about in the Bible lives in you. Talk about awe and wonder and a little bit of fear and trembling. And shouldn't that change us? Like, like catch this example with me. This is silly, but see if you can catch this. Let, let's say I told you the spirit of LeBron James moved into my body. Okay. Wouldn't you expect my basketball skills to improve? What if the spirit of Tom Brady moved into my body? My passes better get a whole lot better. How about the spirit of Tiger Woods? My golf score, you would expect, would go down dramatically, (laughs) seeing that I hate golf and have never played it in my life. Okay? How about the spirit of Wayne Gretzky? You would think I'd be a much better hockey player. How about the spirit of Elon Musk? You would expect me to be a little more creative and innovative and make something that's never been made, right? Spirit of Jeff Bezos, you would expect me to grow in my business skills and the ability to close a deal and make some things happen, yes? So shouldn't we expect that we would be different if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us? If we say that the Holy Spirit is in us, shouldn't there be an increased level of holiness and spiritual life showing up? Because if we tell each other, if we tell ourselves and we tell the world, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, then there should be an increasing level of holiness, purity, and righteousness. And there should be an increasing level of spiritual life, a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And so if there's no evidence of that, then we have to ask ourselves that question. Like, Like the evidence of the Spirit's presence is given to each person for the common good. The evidence of the Spirit's presence. There should be evidence that the Spirit lives in your life the same way that we would expect if the Spirit of LeBron James took over me for me to be really good at basketball. We should expect that we're now walking in holiness and in spiritual life, faith, hope, and love. So can I ask you another hard question? 
Is there any difference between you and the people of this world? Do you talk different? Do you act different? Do you repent different? Like, I'm not even saying, are you perfect? Like, when you mess up, how you respond to that mess up, is it different than the people of this world? Where you go and what you do and how you say. Because, man, if we're saying the Spirit's in here, there should be some evidence. And if there's not, it's one of two things. One is, I haven't put my faith in Jesus, so he's not there, which you can do right now in this moment. Or two, I've decided to walk according to the flesh and not the spirit. So he's there. I've just decided I'm going to keep doing it my way. As opposed to submitting and surrendering to doing it his way. Are you with me on this? You see, we have to decide if we're going to be as excited about receiving the Holy Spirit as Jesus was about giving it. Like, if you think about this, at the end of Jesus's life, it says he's overwhelmed with sorrow because he knows he's going to the cross. He sits with the disciples in the Last Supper. And when you read it, John 14 through 17, you, you catch this sense of Jesus almost being giddy of giving the disciples the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's about to go through and how horrific it's going to be. And yet he has this like demeanor, this, this, this heart posture of like, guys, this is literally what he says. He says, guys, it's good for you that I'm going away. Like, it's good that I'm about to die on the cross because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come and you'll do the things that I've been doing and you'll do even greater things than these. And I love what the resurrected Jesus says to the disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit a gift. Do you see the Holy Spirit as a gift? And what do you do when someone gives you a gift? You, you just receive it and you use it. And some of you are probably thinking, well, wait a second. In John 20, Jesus just breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. So why do they need to wait? Because they had received the Holy Spirit for salvation, but he wanted to baptize, immerse, fill them with the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples didn't have theology for this. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what it meant. They just knew God's offering us more of God and we want it. So when he says, wait for the gift, they're like, I'm waiting because he gives really good gifts. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from the father is good. So I don't know, but it's going to be good. So for 10 days, they wait. 10 days, 10 days in the upper room, 120 of them. And they wait. What did they do? They worshiped. They prayed. They read scriptures. Peter tried to solve problems. They probably played some games, maybe took a nap I, I, for 10 days. They waited because they knew more was coming. And then in Acts chapter two, suddenly after 10 days of waiting, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They waited for more of God because they wanted more of God and God came. Two worlds collided. Heaven came to earth. The kingdom came and the Holy Spirit moved like a violent wind, like tongues of fire, filled them up and they became empowered to do things they had never done before. 
there was an internal transformation because the Holy Spirit just took up residence in a whole new way inside of them. And what I love is it says they were empowered to now speak in different languages. And they go out into Jerusalem that day and they start speaking in tongues and other people are hearing the gospel and catch this. I love this is what it says. Like one verse later, it says, when they, this is the city of Jerusalem, heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So catch it. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and it says, and they start speaking in other tongues, other languages. And it says the people of Jerusalem heard it and came. Hear me, 120 people speaking out loud is not loud enough to capture the attention of Jerusalem. Heard this sound, what sound? The sound of a blowing violent wind, the sound of the kingdom coming to this earth, the sound of heaven breaking open, broke open in the city. And people were like amazed and in awe with this fear and trembling and came and heard the disciples speaking the gospel in their own language. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows you to hear God in a language you understand. That's what he does. And he allows you to speak to the other people in your life in a language they understand. And it changed everything. Peter went from being a coward to courageous. John went from being angry to being a man of love. Matthew went from being greedy to being generous. He transformed them from the inside out, which is what the spirit does. Living without the spirit is like driving a car without gas. It's like flying a plane without fuel. It's like using your phone without battery. Good luck with that. Good luck with living your life according to the flesh and finding joy and peace and hope. And what you need to catch is these guys were in despair. Their best friend was just crucified. They think they're going to die. Everything they thought they had given their lives to, they thought was over. So they're sitting in this upper room, confused, disoriented. And when the spirit fills them up, joy is released. Life is released. Hope is released. Purpose is released. Future is released. Destiny is released. No matter how bad it is, a fresh filling of the spirit of the living God is like a fresh wind in our soul that awakens us to new life in Jesus' name. The question is, is do we want him? I mean, there's a great story in Acts chapter 10 of this guy named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He doesn't know Jesus and he's not a part of the people of God. And yet it says he's a God-fearing man and gives generously to the poor. He doesn't know God, he doesn't know Jesus, but his heart is turned towards the things of God and he's giving his life to help other people. Which is a reminder that so deeply ingrained in your very soul are the things of God. Even when you don't know God, you know you were made for God and to live life with God, bigger than yourself. And one day an angel shows up to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and he has turned his attention towards you. Send for a man named Peter. He will come tell you everything you need to know. When an angel shows up, you probably listen to what he has to say. So he sends for Peter and Peter comes. And when Peter gets there, he's confused because Jews aren't allowed to be around Gentiles. 
And so he looks at Cornelius and Cornelius bows before him. Cornelius has gathered all of his friends, all of his family. They're all in the house and Cornelius bows before him. Peter stands him up and says, well, bro, I'm just a man. Can you tell me why you sent for me? And Cornelius tells him the story. I, I have my heart turned towards God. An angel showed up and said, call for you so that you would come and tell us. And so Peter begins to tell them the gospel. And as he begins to tell them the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin to prophesy. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to praise. And the Holy Spirit fills Gentile people. And they were all amazed and wondering. And I love what Cornelius says when he's telling Peter why he sent for him. He says, so I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Listen, the Holy Spirit goes where he's wanted. And because Cornelius wanted more of God, the Holy Spirit came and he's the first Gentile believer. But look, so I sent what are you seeking? What are you sending for? What are you looking for immediately? What has a sense of urgency and burden and desperation and hunger in your life? What are you calling good in this time, in this season of your life here? Where are you present and where are you focused on? What are you listening to in your life and who are you obeying? He goes where he's wanted. Seek the Lord while he may be found. When you seek me with all of your heart, then you'll find me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you hungry for more of God? Because he's hungry for more of you. See, the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fellowship, relationship, connectivity, intimacy. The Holy Spirit wants to be with you when you're driving your kids to school. Holy Spirit wants to be with you when you're scrolling through social media. Holy Spirit wants to be with you when you're in the midst of that conflict conversation. Holy Spirit wants to be with you when you're arguing with your boyfriend. He wants to be with you when you're trying to close that business deal. And we have to learn how to steward his presence in our life. We have to learn how to host him because this is a relationship that he's inviting us towards. When you look at the language of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, it is all very relational. It's not this separation distance or it's this relational experience. In fact, this is why it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God and do not quench the spirit. These are relational words. To grieve means to cause great distress between two people who love each other. That's relational. That's connected. And we can grieve the very spirit who lives inside of us by how we talk and where we go and what we say, and what we do, and how we treat people. And do not quench the spirit, don't stop his flow. He wants to release the very kingdom, the very life of God in you and through you into the world around you. So the question is, is are you bringing the Holy Spirit joy and are you allowing him to flow? Because that would be the opposite of these. And these aren't suggestions. Do not 
Don't grieve the very spirit who has come to set you free. Not because he's going to get you back or leave, but because there's a relationship that he wants to have with you to set you free from your flesh. In fact, this is why it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. The Bible compares being filled with the spirit to being drunk. When you're drunk, what happens? You're influenced by something else. And that thing takes over how you talk, how you act, where you go, what you do. He's saying, don't be influenced by the things of this world. Instead, be filled, be influenced, be overflowing with the spirit of the living God and let him change you from the inside out. In fact, the question I would ask you is, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? And how do you know if you're filled with the spirit? I'm not going to answer that question for you today. You're going to have to keep coming through the series <laughs> if you want that answer. But I hope you start thinking about it because, you know, I just showed you, you know, you've received the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus, period, end of story. You're marked. Your ear is forever notched. Can't be unnotched. He's with you. But there's a difference between receiving him and being filled by him. How do you know what that is? How do you know if that's happening in your life? This is Holy Spirit. We invite you in. So here's what I want to invite you to do. For the next five weeks, as we go through this series, every day I want you, I want to invite you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. We gave you that little card when you came in. If you're online, you can download it, put it somewhere that will remind you in every single day. Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's in the middle of the day. And it doesn't have to just be once. When you start realizing, oh, oh, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. It might be like every 30 seconds for a lot of us. He doesn't get overwhelmed being invited by all of us every 30 seconds. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. And every time you're around another Valley Creek person for the next five weeks, start your time together by just Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Every circle, start with that. Every serve team, start with that. Every serve the city. If you're having coffee with someone from Valley Creek, if your family goes to Valley Creek and you're sitting at the dinner table together, start. Those are Valley Creek people. It's not just like, oh, you're not a Valley Creeker. Well, hey, you, I, you are, but it's because I'm the mom and the dad, so you have to come with me. No, no. They're a part of the family on mission. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in and be aware of how he starts to move. And hear me, this isn't a trite prayer. Inviting the Holy Spirit in is kingdoms in conflict, flesh and spirit. And if you're going to pray, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. What you're basically saying is, Holy Spirit, show me what in my life is unholy and worldly. Show me where I'm living according to the flesh. Turn some things over that I might be free. Be my counselor, my comforter, my advocate, my guide, my wisdom, my revelation. And watch what he will do. After they had prayed, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. The place where they were meeting was shaken. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is what I'm praying for us. That if we just take five weeks and turn our attention, Holy Spirit, we invite you in together as a family. Things will be shaken. The Holy Spirit will fill us and you will be empowered to a totally different dimension of life. I think the things that you loved in the last season that have crumbled and fallen apart were actually the grace of the Lord at work allowing you to get to the end of yourself to say, the flesh just doesn't cut it. So Holy Spirit, I invite you in. So close your eyes with me. Maybe it makes a little more sense to you why we usually end every message with Holy Spirit. What are you saying to me? What's he saying to you? Is there a level of being cut to the heart in your life? Are you even aware, maybe even of the hardness that's built up over this last season out of a sense maybe of just even trying to protect yourself from the storms around us that the Lord wants to soften and break open and set free. We don't want the Holy Spirit to be the most important and ignored person in our lives. We want him to be the most important and the most honored person in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in, into our hearts, into our minds, into our body, and into our soul. We invite you into our marriage. We invite you into our bed. We invite you into our children. We invite you into our parents. We invite you into our homes, into our school, into our work. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this church. May you come and do whatever you want to do. And may we have a level of hunger and humility a fear and a trembling, an awe and a wonder that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. Change us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. In Jesus' name we pray.